Messi Clinical Pearls. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Messi Clinical Pearls. My name is Stacy, and with me today is Hal. We'll be continuing on the theme of electrolyte disturbances. This time, looking at approaches to sodium imbalances, so hypo and hyponatremia. So first, we'll start off with a brief overview of normal sodium physiology. Water crosses cell membranes freely through areas of low solute concentration to areas of high solute concentration. As sodium is the most abundant cation in the extravascular and intravascular spaces, it has a major influence on serum osmolality and determines the volume of the extracellular fluid. Thus, interpretation of sodium levels should always include consideration of the hydration and volume status of the patient. These concepts are covered in more detail in our Approach to Fluid Management podcast. Major changes in sodium levels, and by extension, the extracellular fluid volume, can have profound effects on cells. Therefore, body fluid volume and electrolyte concentration are normally maintained within very narrow limits, despite wide variations in dietary intake, metabolic activity, and environmental stresses. A normal serum sodium level is considered between 135 to 145 millimoles. The kidney plays a crucial role in the regulation of the extracellular fluid through sodium and water retention in response to antidiuretic hormone and, and, and aldosterone. First is also simulated by decreases in extracellular volume or increases in effective osmolality, so hypotonicity. Regulation of body water is accomplished through osmoreceptors and baroreceptors, with the kidney being the main organ where sodium is retained. Due to all these mechanisms involved in sodium and water regulation, identifying the cause of sodium imbalances is often multifactorial. In today's episode, Howe and I will talk through a step-by-step approach to identifying the cause of hyper- and hyponatremia and the subsequent management. Hyponatremia, or high sodium levels, is defined as a serum sodium level of above 145 millimoles per litre. There are three broad mechanisms when it comes to approaching causes of hyponatremia. First and most commonly is hypovolemic hyponatremia, where the patient loses more water than salt. These losses are most commonly through the GI tract through severe vomiting or diarrhea. Renal losses can occur through osmotic diuretics such as mannitol, where the presence of substances such as glucose in the kidney tubes can't be reabsorbed, leading to increased osmotic pressure in the tubules and subsequently drawing water out. Hypovolemic hypernatremia can also occur secondary to central causes such as hypothalamic lesions that impair first or osmoreceptor function from inadequate intake in water typically seen in elderly or infant patients who are unable to take in water as their first dictates, or from excessive sweating, burns, and febrile illnesses. Secondly is euvolemic hypernatremia. This is most commonly due to endocrine causes, such as diabetes insipidus, either centrally through ADH deficiency or peripherally through renal ADH resistance. Lastly, is hypervolemic hypernatremia, or excessive sodium gains when a patient gains more salt than water. This can be from conditions such as primary 
hyperaldosterism or cons if the patient restricts their free water intake or can also happen iatrogenically after administration of hypertonic saline or ingestion of excessive soy sauce, salt tablets or seawater. Hypernatremia results in increased extracellular fluid osmolality, resulting in an outward shift of extracellular water. As a result, the cells shrink. The clinical features of hypernatremia are related to the acute shrinking of cerebral neurons in particular, and the signs and symptoms are dependent on both the absolute increase in serum osmolality as well as the rate at which it changes. The clinical signs are often nonspecific and include first, fatigue, weakness, tremor, irritability, altered mental status, and focal neurological signs. In severe cases, patients may have seizures or go into a coma, respiratory paralysis, or even death. When managing hyponatremia, the choice of fluid, route, and rate of administration are dependent on the severity of the extracellular volume deficit. Thus, a fluid assessment must be completed to determine if the patient is hypovolemic, euvolemic, or hypervolemic prior to commencing treatment. Assessment of fluid status is often comprehensive and involves inspection of vital signs and fluid balance charts, followed by examination of the patient. For more information on fluid status, check out our clinical pearls on IV fluid therapy. In volume depleted or hypovolemic patients, first of all, commence fluid resuscitation with IV isotonic normal saline until the patient is hemodynamically stable. Following this, or if the patient is euvolemic to begin with, the remaining water deficit can be corrected with either free water per orally, or 0.5% saline, or 5% dextrose IV. In patients who are volume overloaded or hypervolemic, excess sodium can initially be removed by initiating diuresis using frusamide 20 to 40 mg IV repeating from a two to four hourly basis as necessary. Once the extracellular volume has returned to normal, diuresis can still continue if the serum sodium level is still elevated. Urinary volume losses can be replaced with 5% IV dextrose until serum sodium levels are within the normal range. Correction of sodium and water abnormalities should be gradual to prevent sudden fluid shifts intracellularly which can result in the development of cerebral edema. Thus, serum sodium should be reduced by less than 12 millimoles per litre every 24 hours. True causes of hyponatremia, a sodium level less than 135 millimoles a litre, can be due to many reasons and requires a thorough and systematic approach to correctly identify the cause. This is because the cause and type of hyponatremia will determine the management required to correct the imbalance. True hyponatremia can, again, be separated based on fluid status. Patients can be separated into hypovolemic, euvolemic, or hypervolemic hyponatremia. Following a fluid assessment, it's important to follow up with some supplemental investigations. A urine osmolality and urine sodium concentration, combined with a serum osmolality, can help further differentiate between causes of hyponatremia. It's critical that the urine and blood 
are sampled at the same time, as only then can they be directly compared with each other. As mentioned, there are many reasons why sodium levels can be low in blood, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. There are, however, a few notable causes to mention. Hypovolemic hyponatremia, where patients are both low in sodium and clinically dry, is often caused by both low fluid or sodium intake or increased fluid loss. Decreased intake can be seen in the so-called tea and toast diet common in older patients. Increased losses can manifest in many ways. Excessive sodium and water loss through diuresis can lead to hypovolemic hyponatremia. In addition, any cause of prolonged increased fluid loss, such as vomiting and diarrhea, can also cause sodium levels to decrease. Less common causes include imbalances in mineral corticoids, such as Addison's disease and congenital adrenal hyperplasia. The causes of uvolemic hyponatremia are more varied and also a bit more confusing. This is also the time when comparisons between urine and serum osmolality can be extremely useful. If the urine osmolality is disproportionately high compared to serum, it could be due to syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone, or SIADH. SIADH is the most common cause for uvolemic hyponatremia and occurs as a result of excessive antidiuretic hormone secretion. There are many causes of SIADH, which include any injury or insult to the brain, certain medications such as SSRIs, lung disease, and it can even be secreted by certain malignant tumours. Excessive ADH can also occur with hypothyroidism, as the decreased cardiac output causes a physiological increase in its secretion. However, if the urine osmolality is normal or even low, the cause could be again attributed to mineral corticoid deficiency, or it could be psychogenic polydipsia, where patients feel the urge to consume fluids despite no physiological need. Hypervolemic hyponatremia, on the other hand, is often characterized by pathology in organ systems leading to fluid overload. The common culprits are liver cirrhosis, congestive cardiac failure, and kidney disease, particularly nephrotic syndrome. If you have a hyponatremic patient who is fluid overloaded, it's important to work them up and examine their function in these organ systems. Management of hyponatremia depends on three factors the fluid status of the patient, the clinical severity of hyponatremia, and the acuity of the imbalance, whether it is acute or chronic in onset. In patients with hypovolemic hyponatremia, patients are both sodium and volume deplete. Therefore, correction of both deficits can be achieved with infusions of normal saline. While this will correct the electrolyte imbalance over time, the cause of the imbalance must be addressed to prevent further hyponatremia whether that is reducing the ongoing sodium losses or improving the overall intake of sodium, or both. Uvolemic hyponatremia, on the other hand, cannot be managed as easily with fluid replacement because, well, they're already uvolemic. So instead, it's usually controlled with a combination of diuresis and fluid restriction to slowly increase the serum sodium levels. Again, treatment of the underlying cause, such as medications or conditions that predispose to SIADH, or managing hormone imbalances, is the key step in preventing further episodes. For cases of SIADH, there also exists a class of medications called VAPTANs, 
which act as ADH receptor antagonists, which can be used in adjunct with the above. Similarly to uvolemic hyponatremia, hypervolemic hyponatremia patients also require fluid restriction to manage their overloaded state. But you guessed it, management of the underlying cause is the definitive treatment for their low sodium. There often also is a role for diuretics as well, particularly for hyponatremia secondary to cardiac and liver failure, but care must be taken not to exacerbate their condition, especially if renal failure is present. There are, however, situations where the patient needs a rapid correction of their hyponatremia. This is usually seen in patients who have an acute decrease in serum sodium, usually within 24 hours to less than 125 millimoles a litre. This is often accompanied by symptoms which vary from general fatigue and malaise, headaches, muscle weakness or cramps, to confusion, seizures and coma. The life-threatening mechanism of acute hyponatremia is through cerebral edema from decreased serum osmolality, which can then cause cerebral herniation and death. Before they receive definitive treatment through their respective fluid status, patients with severe hyponatremia require rapid correction of serum sodium levels through infusions of hypertonic 3% saline. There are different methods to infuse hypertonic saline in the acute setting. One method is to infuse at a rate of 1 to 2 mils per kilo per hour, only stopping when the serum sodium has corrected up to 12 millimoles in a 24-hour period, or 18 millimoles in a 48-hour period. The other method is to bolus 100 to 150 mils of hypertonic saline at once, to increase sodium levels by up to 3 millimoles a litre. This can be repeated another two times if symptoms are still ongoing. Unfortunately, there has to be a balance in the correction of sodium levels. In patients with chronic hyponatremia, the neurons in their brain have adapted to the reduced serum osmolality over time by reducing their own intracellular osmolality. If it's too rapidly corrected, the neurons do not have enough time to adapt to this sudden change in osmolality and can lies as a result. This is known as osmotic demyelination, or central pontine myelinolysis. It presents as a gradual onset neurological deficit across the whole body and is irreversible. Therefore, it's important to understand the clinical history of each patient's hyponatremia and not just treat their numbers. Sodium imbalance is a very complicated and poorly understood concept among medical students and junior doctors. We hope this summary on approaching and managing both hyper and hyponatremia has been educational. And as always, thanks for listening in on another episode of Mexic Clinical Perils.